Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Tyler Jorns. He's currently the Director of Scouting and Analytics at George Mason University. Tyler. Hey, David. What's up? Nothing much, man. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? It's a beautiful day in North Carolina. I can't complain. Hey, there you go. Uh, Coach, give us a brief introduction about yourself. Uh, So, name is Tyler Jorns. Grew up in Northern Virginia um, in Ashburn and uh, went to went to George Mason. So, stayed local for college and um, was a student manager there for for all four years for the men's basketball team and. uh, and then uh, after after graduated as the director of player development uh, with with uh, with Paul Hewitt, um, and then spent a year uh, working for the Utah Jazz, and then two years at the Air Force Academy, and then uh, now just finished up my third year uh, here back at George Mason. Okay, man, you have to be one of the longest tenured people in the athletic department at this point. <laughs> well, there, there was a there was a bit of a break in between but uh yeah i'm sure i'm up there yeah uh so when did you know that you wanted to be a coach uh i'm i'm sure it was it was at some point in high school um you know i always kind of felt like i i I knew the game better than i could uh than i could play it um so you know i just kind of always had that passion for wanting to to teach and and you know just watch hoops and, and kind of just be involved. Okay. So did you reach out to colleges about being a manager when you applied to schools or what attracted you to Mason and how did you become a manager once you got there? Uh, you know, it kind of, it was a simple process for me, really. Um, I knew I wanted to go to a school where I could be involved uh, in some sort of capacity with with the basketball team. And one of my good friends in high school, um, actually, his mother um, at the time worked for um, worked for the university uh, in the alumni department, and she had a relationship with uh, with the director of basketball operations at the time, Kent Dernbach. And uh, so, my senior year, she set up a meeting between us and. That kind of got my foot in the door, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have them allow me be be a part of the team. Okay, so um, you know, did you apply to other schools and, and reach out to coaches, or did you always know you were going to go to Mason? Yeah, I mean, I applied to other schools, um, but you know, this kind of the the meeting that I talked about it kind of happened pretty early on in my senior year of high school, um, so that was kind of it for me. Um, you know, I, I knew, I knew I had my foot in the door. I had a connection and, um, you know, I wasn't Mason for me was, was, was far enough to, uh, to feel like I was away from home, but close enough to stop by for dinner or, or have my mom, you know, do a load of laundry on Sunday for me. So, uh, it, it was, it just made it a super easy choice. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you were a student manager at Georgia Mason under Paul Hewitt. What did you learn from him and the rest of the coaching staff, uh, during your time as an undergraduate manager? Yeah. So, uh, it was after my sophomore year, uh, where coach Laranaga, uh, took the Miami job. And so coach Hewitt came in and, um, you know, one of the things that he, he did that, that really stood out to me and that I learned a lot from him was, was his player development program. Um, I mean, we put a heavy emphasis on that, um, every single day and really throughout the season too. Um, and that was at a time where, you know, you could only go two or three times a week for about 40 minutes in the gym at a time. Um, and then he would, he would continue that, uh, almost throughout the year. Um, you know, not just, not just in the, in the fall before the season. Um, so we would have guys for 20, 30 minutes in, in December, January, um, just getting up shots, getting individualized instruction with assistant coaches, um, and, and really trying to get into, um, the teaching of the game and the finer details and things like that. Um, you know, he, 
he really valued um, teaching the, the game and, and he viewed himself uh, in a lot of ways as a teacher. And that was kind of the first experience that I had as far as looking at coaching as teaching. Um, and that to me really stood out about him and, you know, and, and, and the rest of the staff really. Um, and it was, it was a good staff to be on. Um, and I've learned a lot from coach Hewitt and just working from him and, and, and since then. Okay. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. So you, your freshman year, coach Larnega was the coach. Correct. Man. Okay. Awesome. I wasn't aware of that. I'd always thought it was the four years under Paul Hewitt. No, yeah, it, my freshman and sophomore year were uh, were Coach Larinaga with uh, Chris Caputo was there and Eric Conkle and Michael Huger. Okay, um, you, you have any Coach Larinaga stories? <laughs> um, you know he's he's a uh, he he's so good at what he does. Um, but probably the one that I would tell you was uh, you know, being a freshman and sophomore student manager for him um you know a lot of the things that we did were you know bottom of the totem pole work and uh you know when I first started traveling with the team this was my sophomore year we made the NCAA tournament and on one of the road trips I forget uh which one it was I think it was um I think we were going to play Duquesne actually in the non-conference and he used to have these uh these 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 padded uh mats if you will that he traveled with to sit on the sit on the bus and and things like that to help his back and uh and I forgot it one trip and so I was doing suicides the next practice because I forgot it (laughs) (laughs) so that's the reason you didn't transfer to Miami yep yeah exactly okay so I remember meeting you when you were, I guess, then a sophomore manager, and you really stood out to me because you had incredible work ethic. You conducted yourself as a professional, and you were the head manager. Was it for all four years? Uh, it, it was. It was for, I guess, you could say three. Three. Okay. What do you attribute that to? You know, for me, it was easy. Um, I really enjoyed being around the team um, and learning from, from coach L and and coach Hewitt and having a relationship with the guys. Um, So for me, it was, there wasn't really a a hard decision to make of whether or not I was going to practice or whether or not I was going to, you know, work hard and do the right things and and all that type of stuff. So, cause it it was just something that I really, really enjoyed um, and something that I got, you know, I got a great, um, I got just as much out of it as I put into it. You know, the relationships I got out of it, the, the fun, the team bonding, all that type of stuff. So for me, it was, it was, it was easy just because I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. What was a typical day or week like for you during the season? And then also after the season when I was a manager. Yes. So you know, during the season, you know, obviously I was in school. So, uh, you know, I probably had some morning classes and um, I tried to have a class at, you know, 1030 or so, and then maybe squeeze in another before practice started at about, I think back then practice was at, I want to say our practice slot was at like three o'clock. So I tried to eat before practice, usually get to the arena by at least two to set up everything, uh, all the pads, the water, the, the shot clock, all that type of stuff. Um, and then we'd practice and, and it was whatever was needed out of me, whether it was rebounding, whether it was grabbing a bottle of water or wiping up a, a wet spot in the floor. Um, I think by the time everything was over, is all said and done, practice is cleaned up, laundry's done, all that type of stuff, I'd probably leave it around – 6 30 um and then it was go back to the dorm grab some dinner maybe do some other schoolwork and go to bed and wake up and do it all over again um so that was that was a pretty typical um during the season and then uh in the off season you know we would have uh you know the individual skill instruction and those were some long days um 
because at the time you could only have, I think it was up to four players in the gym at once. So, um, and you were going for about 40, 45 minutes at a time uh, with each group and figure you have, you know, at least maybe four groups on some days because of position groups. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's almost four hours just on the court. Uh, you're on your feet, you're rebounding, you're, you're passing, you're running around doing whatever needs to be done. Um, so, but those were fun. I, I really enjoyed those days just as much as practice because you really got to kind of break things down and sink your teeth into some, 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 some ball screen stuff or some different type of specific action. And, and, uh, and it was good. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, so Mason went from the colonial to the a 10. Yep. Talk about the differences and kind of the growing pains that are natural during those kind of changes. Yeah. You know, I think for us, um, you know, at the time we had, we had a we had a little bit of an older team. Uh, Brian Allen was a senior. Sherrod Wright was a senior, and those two guys were probably our our leaders. Um, both of whom were were tremendous players in their own right. Um, but I think one of the things that we really struggled with was not not necessarily the talent, um, but we struggled with uh, kind of understanding how to win in that league. Um, especially in year one, you know, we, we really, um, we really struggled with kind of those little mistakes that you can make throughout a game. Those would hurt you a lot more in the A-10 than they would the CAA, um, you know, because it was just better players. And, and so it, again, it wasn't really a talent. Uh, standpoint because we had the scoring, we had the athleticism, we had the size, um, but those little mistakes uh, that that happen, you know, four or five times a game, we would just get burned on it, and and it would just be too much to to overcome. Sometimes, you know, I think that year too, um, everybody looks at looks at our record that year, and I forget what we what we finished in league, but I know I think I think we had. 20 losses on the year but in league I think it was seven or eight games were decided by five points or less um or if it wasn't decided by five points or less then at one point in time with like under a minute to go it was a five-point game so you know we were right there um with a lot of games and that was the year, you know, UMass was ranked in the top 15. St. Louis was, was ranked in the top 10, um, with Jordan jet. They were really, really good. Um, St. Joe's had Deandre Bembry, um, and Langston Galloway, uh, both who played in the NBA. Um, GW was an up and coming, uh, team who was good, but they had the pieces, the Kevin Larson's that they, uh, the McDonald's who, who were just, who were young, who were, who were playing really, really well. Um, so, and LaSalle had been to a sweet 16, um, the year before. So it was a hell of a league. Um, and that doesn't include VCU and Dayton and, and, and Rhode Island. So, um, it, it, it was a deep league. It was a good league and, um, really, really talented. Yeah, I mean, the three teams that were ranked that you played, I mean, all were single-digit games. Number 10, St. Louis, lost by four. Yep. Um, you had UMass, lost by one. I mean, Yeah, we, we were right there. We took St. Louis to overtime twice uh, at our place and at, and at their place. And uh, like you said, you mentioned the UMass game. Um, we were right there in, in so many games, which is kind of – why I say that we, we just struggled with, you know, knowing how to win in that league, those, those three, four, five mistakes that can happen in a game. Those were, those were costly um, in the A-10 that year, for sure. Much more than they were in the CAA. Okay. So during your undergraduate days, you served as an assistant coach with the USA under 17 basketball camp, hoop group, ESPN high school national, uh, their high school invitational 
How did you land these positions and what did you learn and gain from those experiences? Uh, so, you know, for me, uh, you know, being at George Mason was, was phenomenal as far as those type of connections. Um, you know, I got each one of those just based off of a, off of a recommendation from an assistant coach at the time, you know, somebody had, had reached out to them and said, Hey, do you guys have anybody in mind who wants to work? Um, and, you know, because I was somebody who, who always showed up to practice every day and, um, and who just really enjoyed being around, they always gave them my name. Um, and I was happy to, to help out and, and do whatever I could, um, for, for those, for those three events. So, um, I enjoyed it. I think each experience was, was a little different. The USA thing was, was neat because it was, um, it was a three on three, um, international tournament that I think it was, it was either U 17 or U 16. Um, and they were holding their training camp, uh, here at George Mason, uh, before they left to go to Italy, uh, to compete. And uh, you had guys like Rondé Hollis Jefferson um, was on that team, actually, and, and a bunch of other Division One players. Um, but it was funny. They, they, they brought in a, a team from Florida who had won uh, this three-on-three, -three, um, you know, North America championship, and the rules were just different. So it, it was interesting to kind of – watch the kids and, and the coaching had to be a little bit different because it was, it, you know, it wasn't normal five on five basketball. Um, so it, it was just interesting. Um, and then the hoop group, uh, when I, when I did that, that really kind of opened my eyes to um, how big the, this, this recruiting circuit is. Um, you know, I walked into, I think I was a junior in college and I walked into this building that had, you know, probably 30 basketball courts and, and, and people running around everywhere and coaches going crazy and refs going crazy and parents going crazy. Um, but it was fun. And, and I think I worked, you know, from just probably two weekends in a row, um, probably 10 hours a day, um, at, at, at the minimum. And, uh, I think I just got fed some pizza. So, uh, but it was good. It was fun. I, I, I just enjoyed watching basketball. Uh, and then that ESPN uh, invitation, high school invitational deal was at Georgetown prep. And, and I was just, again, somebody had reached out to, um, I think it was coach Conkle at the time um, when he was here at George Mason and, and he passed along my name. I was willing to work and, and, it was just kind of doing whatever need to be done. And, and, you know, I think that was the year Austin rivers was in high school. Um, so you had his high school team, you had Finley prep was there. Um, then you had a bunch of other notable, uh, high school programs across the country, all coming to, to, to Georgetown prep to, to play in this invitational tournament. And it was, it was really fun to see, um, you know, really high level high school basketball all, all in one area. It's awesome, man. You got pizza. All I got was a sub sandwich when I worked here. Well, I didn't even get to pick my toppings on my pizza, so you may have won. <laughs> okay, so immediately after graduating from Mason, uh, you were hired, as you said, as the director of player mm -hmm. development. What was it like uh, having a D1 job straight out of college? You know, looking back on it um, – I was extremely fortunate to, to get that position with coach Hewitt. Um, you know, I had, I had tried, I had interviewed for, for a couple other GA positions when I graduated, um, didn't end up getting any of them. And, um, you know, coach Hewitt was, was generous enough to offer me, offer me the position of, of director of player development to, to kind of stay home and, and be at George Mason in a place that I was comfortable and the staff that I knew and, and a program that, that, that I was comfortable with how things were run. Um, so it was, it was great, you know, um, looking back it, again, it was, I was just so fortunate and I probably didn't even realize how fortunate I was at the time to be able to graduate and, and stay in division one. Um, and 
at a school that I was so comfortable at and had, um, you know, already numerous relationships with, with everyone there. Um, so that was, that was really good, uh, for me. And, and, and I, I can't thank coach Hewitt enough for that opportunity because without that, um, you know, I don't know if any of my other stops would have ever happened. Um, so that was a tremendous, uh, experience for me to be able to do that. Okay. How did your role change uh, from manager, head student manager to director of player development? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing right off the bat was the hours. Um, you know, as a, as a student manager, you know, I was, I was helping out in the office when I could. Um, but, you know, it was, it was mainly to, you know, just, just practice. So, uh, you know, that was my real first experience of showing up in the office at, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning and, and, not leaving until uh, the day is done. And sometimes that wasn't until, you know, eight or nine, 10 o'clock at night. Um, so, you know, for me, um, it, it, it changed a lot uh, right off the bat as far as workload. Um, you know, I had to teach myself things like Photoshop. Um, I had to uh, teach myself, um, you know, Final Cut Pro or, or iMovie um, to make, you know, some recruiting videos or highlight videos. Um, so it was, it was much more fast paced environment that I had really ever anticipated because for the last four years, I had gotten into such a groove of these are my responsibilities. Um, these are, these are the things that, that I do every single day. I had a list. I could, I could check them off, like show up at this time, make sure that, that, that X, Y, and Z is out on the floor, pack X, Y, and Z into the travel bags. And so when I got this, it was, it was, um, it was great because it kind of forced me to, uh, teach myself things, you know, uh, whenever I was assigned a project, I quickly realized that, um, you know, Scott Lombardi and, and who was the director of basketball operations at the time, as much as he wanted to help me with certain things, he, um, he didn't have the time to, to hold my hand and, um, sit me down and, and explain things to me that, that quite honestly, I, I should have just been able to figure out on my own, um, so that was that was much different for me, um, and and something that I quickly realized. And and looking back on it, you're you're grateful um, for those things because, um, you know, you you kind of had to again learn things on your own and and take things into your own hands, and that's kind of what just keeps you going and and you know, make sure that you're, you're staying on top of, of, of what you need to, what you need to do. Okay. How did your relationships change as far as, you know, student to student and you know, now you're hired in a full-time right. position Were you, did that relationship change? And then with the staff, you know, you weren't the guy going to go get coffee for everybody. How did that change? Um, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with all, with all the players. Um, and so for me, it was, it was still trying to maintain that relationship, but at the same time, recognizing and understanding that um, I'm on the other side of the, of, of the line now, if you will. Um, and I kind of had to understand, you know, that I, I can't hang out in the locker room with the guys anymore. You know, that's, that's not my place. It's their place. Um, so it was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, but at the same time for me, it was, it was also easy because I wanted to coach. Um, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I knew I had a passion for it. So in a way I was more excited about, being around uh the coaching staff now you know I kind of understood that my my time with with being an undergrad and, and having that you know personal uh undergrad relationship with the players that that was done um I was ready to kind of 
learn all that I could from from the coaches about the game, about recruiting, about um, operations, just about how it all works. Um, so I was excited for that. So for me, it was it was a little bit um, easy in in that regard. That that transition. Okay. Um, so in 2015, you landed a a video. Was it an internship yeah. with the Utah Jazz? Okay. What was the relationship that led to that? Interview? So when uh, when Coach Hewitt got got hired here at Mason, um, one of the assistant coaches that he brought on to his staff was a guy by the name of Mike Wells. Um, and Mike Wells had had been in the NBA at that time for um, over 15 years um, and that was also the year that, that the NBA lockout was happening. So he, he, at the time, Mike Wells was, was an assistant coach uh, for the Washington wizards uh, when flip Saunders was there. And so it was an easy transition for him location wise. Um, and it just kind of made sense. I know coach Hewitt is a, is a big NBA guy. You know, he, he has so many relationships and that's kind of one of his big things is, you know, he, he, he recruited and coached so many pros. So he wanted to have an NBA guy on staff um, that knew that kind of development process. So when Mike Wells got there, him and I kind of just developed a relationship early on. Um, and one that I tried to maintain obviously throughout uh, my junior year and senior year. Um, and so then after funny when I graduated he Mike Wells had taken a job at South Florida for Stan Heath and then um, when I was the director of player development I stayed in contact with Mike Wells and he and then their, their staff at South Florida happened to be let go so then Mike Wells moves to uh, he moves to Toledo under Todd Kowalczyk and I'm talking to Mike Wells just about every day um, about a GA spot um, trying to get on staff there. And I had talked to coach Kowalczyk multiple times um, about the position. And one day that summer, um, Wellesy hits me up and he says, uh, Hey man, I'm sorry, but, but I'm going back to the NBA. I'm going to the Utah jazz. And He's like, I don't know what that means for you as far as the Toledo gig, but uh, unfortunately, I, I won't be there to, to help you out anymore. So, you know, I kind of go from thinking that this Toledo thing is going to happen and uh, all of a sudden um, thinking I'm going to be back at, at Mason for another year. Um, and then we happen to take our um, – our foreign tour that year over to Spain. And I think this is in, this is in August and um, we're over in Spain and, you know, I didn't buy a phone plan. So my phone is on airplane mode the whole entire time because I'm not paying to have that thing roaming over there. So, um, you know, I can only get, and I don't, and I did not have an iPhone at the time, so I didn't have iMessage either. So it's not like I could text or anything, you know, through Wi-Fi. Um, and we're over in Spain, and I get a uh, a Facebook message from Wellesy that says, "Call me." And uh, you know, that's the long version of kind of telling you how I got to Utah. So Wellesy kind of they 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 had a spot there in in Utah, and. Um, we were over in Spain when, when, when I found out that they had the spot and it all happened so quick. Um, get back from Spain, just talk to uh, one other coach there in Utah and they called me back and I got the guy, I got the job. So I packed up the car with everything that could fit and drove 32 hours to Salt Lake city, Utah. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember coach Wells, uh, Pretty well. No, oh, yeah. Definitely knew his stuff, and uh, I remember during the Paul Hewitt uh, coaching clinic. Man, that guy could work, uh, could work a room. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, if you've never seen him about. do a chalk talk, you're missing out. 
So what type of interactions, if any, did you have with guys like Quinn Snyder, Gordon Hayward? Rudy yeah, Hayward? I mean, I was I was a part of the coaching staff, so I interacted with those guys every single day. Um, and, you know, it was interesting for me um, when I got there, you know, I was hired as a video intern. Um, and I guess one thing to kind of understand is that it was Quinn Snyder's first year. Um, and at the time Utah was, um, was, was a little bit behind the curve as far as video goes in the NBA. Um, so we had a very small film room. Um, there were only three video people, um, and two of which, um, the other two besides myself were also, um, player development coaches. So they were doing player development stuff and video. So I was really the only guy um, really doing um, all video or my job was all video. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, a, it was definitely an adjustment for me being in a, a, a new city, you know, I, I had spent my whole entire life in, in Northern Virginia up to that point. I'm, I'm, when I moved, I think I was 23 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, it had been with people that I had never, I had never worked with before, you know? So for me, I had always developed a relationship with, with the people that were at George Mason. I, I, I had never really, um, had to go outside my, my bubble before. Um, and so what was, what, what made Utah so challenging yet rewarding for me, um, that year, the person who was above me in the video room, uh, two weeks before, or excuse me, two weeks after the season started, um, he, he had a, a, a family emergency, so he had to, he had, he had to leave. Um, and, and it was something that, that took him away, um, from basketball for the whole entire year. So all of a sudden, you know, in our fourth game of the year, I'm getting moved up into a role that I was not hired to be in. Um, I'm traveling with the team. I'm, more and more on the floor in drills, um, you know, doing much more, uh, scouting, um, all that type of stuff. Um, and it was great. Um, but it was a lot and it was a lot of, um, responsibility. And Quinn Snyder was a guy who is tremendous at what he does. He is, um, a phenomenal phenomenal basketball coach um but he demands a lot from his staff and from his players and you know he does not care he wasn't going to hold my hand and, and and expect me to um to to he he, he was not going to be okay with me messing up <laughs> um even if he knew i was my feet were at the fire and i was being thrown into a situation I wasn't ready for. He, he just didn't care. Um, and, and it was great because it, it forced me to, to grow up quicker than, um, than I, than I was ready for probably, and probably realized, um, it forced me to become much more detailed. It forced me to become much more prepared. Um, and so for that, I am extremely thankful um, for that opportunity and for that experience because that year was by far um, the most challenging um, year that I had, had, had I have experienced in this industry. Yet at the same time, it was uh, without a doubt the most rewarding as far as um, growing. Um, learning um and experiencing all the different things that that basketball uh has to offer okay very interesting um so you return or uh, following your stint in the nba you moved back mm -hmm. to the college game 
and uh, you land the director of basketball operations job at the yep. Air Force Academy. One, how did you uh, get that job? And two, talk about coaching at a service academy and what drew you, you know, what attracted yeah. you to even apply. So, um, when I was, so, so when I was in Utah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of understood that, that I was being hired for, for a one-year deal. Um, and, you know, like, cause like I said, it was, it was supposed to be an internship. Um, it ended up being much, much more. Um, but that's kind of how some of those, those jobs work in the NBA. So when we held our uh, free agent mini camp, um, which is something that, that almost every NBA team does is bring in um, overseas guys, um, you know, basically anybody who's a free agent um, and they hold kind of a training camp with, with some of those guys, um, you know, who are trying to make it in the NBA, it, it may be uh, undrafted guys, it might be um, overseas guys, it might be G League guys, um, and you kind of hold a, I think it's like three or four days uh, training camp. And so what Utah did was they would bring in a bunch of college coaches to, to coach those teams so that um, – everybody in, in the Utah organization could just kind of sit back and watch. Um, and so one of those guys who, who, who came to the camp was a guy by the name of Andy Moore, um, who was an assistant coach at the air force Academy at the time. Um, and so I just developed a relationship with him and, and, and I had been looking, um, at other schools because like I said, it was kind of an understood thing when I was being hired that it was a one year deal. Um, and you know, it, it, it made sense. Uh, you know, one of the things that attracted me was, was, um, you know, the air force Academy being, being a service Academy, the NCAA allows those service academies to have two extra, uh, countable coaches. So, um, I could go back to college and still be on the floor. I could go out recruiting. I could, because I, I, I had gained so much experience in Utah being on the floor um, and being in drills with, with Gordon Hayward and Rodney Hood and Dante Exum and, um, you know, helping Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors and those guys. Like, I had learned so much by being on the floor, and I didn't want to give that up right away um, by moving back to college and, and some of those rule restrictions. Um, so that was – that was big for me uh, when I was choosing Air Force Academy. And, um, you know, I quickly developed a, a very positive relationship with Dave Filipovich, um, who was the head coach there. Um, and it just, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, being at a service academy is a very unique um, experience. Some of those relationships uh, are, are forever. Um, just because of the type of, of person um, that is there. And, that, and that's not just the athlete, that's the coaches and, and the trainers and the athletic department people. Um, the type of person that's at a service academy is just good, hardworking, um, honest people. So um, for me, it was, it was great because I got so many good relationships out of it. Um, and and it's so – what makes it really special is is the athletes. Um, you know, our job was so difficult trying to win at the Air Force Academy in the Mountain West with UNLV and um, San Diego State, Utah State, Colorado State. Um, you know, it's, it's just – it's a monster league. Uh, and then, and then you got air force. Um, so it was watching those kids, um, compete, uh, compete their rear ends off every single night, um, versus kids who were top 100 in high school or, or NBA draft prospects, you know, they, they didn't care. Um, and they had to compete and then, and then they had to wake up at, at 6 a.m. for class the next day. Um, 
and that was every day. And there were times where, you know, we, we, we'd hit a lull and, and go through a bit of a losing streak, especially there in the middle of conference. And it's, it's, it's those type of kids, man, that, that make it really fun to coach because no matter what happens, they, they show up to practice the next day, just, just ready to go. Um, because they just love hoops and uh, you know, they know that basketball is not going to be their career. Um, They know that, that they're at the school to do something much, much greater uh, than play basketball for a living. So um, it's extremely rewarding uh, to, to, to coach those types of kids. Can you talk about, you had told me, um, year or so ago about a travel story where you were yeah. on a certain kind of yeah uh, so uh wow okay um so part of my job uh, the first year I was at Air Force you know I would book all our travel um and uh they have there's a military flight coordinator uh in the athletic department and when your schedule gets released, you know, you send her, you send her a bunch of times and dates of, you know, we want to take a military flight on this date to this city at this time. Um, and you know, she tries to do what she can. So, uh, it works the same way like a chartered flight does. Um, but it's, uh, it's 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 a military cargo cargo flight. So it's those big C one thirty um, airplanes that, that transport all those tanks and stuff. And, um, I mean, it is a massive airplane. Um, and it's nice when it works out. Um, but in the, in the event, uh, that it doesn't, you gotta be ready, um, and, and and on your feet because we were in, I think it was, we were, we were playing at army and, we, we had had a tough loss, uh, the night before we stayed in the hotel, uh, right there on, on West Point's campus. And, um, we get up, I think it was probably seven, seven thirty AM for breakfast. We have breakfast in the hotel. The plan is to get on the bus, go to the private airstrip, take off on the military charter jet and, and, and land back in Colorado. Well, 15 minutes before uh, our bus is supposed to leave, I get a call from the pilot and he says, uh, hey, man, not going to be able to take you guys back. We just got a call and they need us at at some other base um, somewhere else in the country. So we already took off. We're, we're gone. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this is a disaster. Um so one of the things that we always had to do, so because uh, because all the players are considered uh, military, uh, I could always book Southwest flights uh, for them and then cancel them at any time and get fully refunded. Um, so that's what I would always do for every trip. I'd always book a backup Southwest flight. And then in the event that our, that our uh, military uh, plane was canceled uh, last minute. I knew that at least we had we had a flight, and then I would just call Southwest and hope to hope to God that they had you know seven or eight seats left on the plane for for the staff. <laughs> um, so uh, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. Uh, we we were taking a trip to Utah State. Um, one one uh, one time we were flying into Salt Lake and like I said the, the the military flight got canceled and we had the players on one the players and myself on one flight and I think probably Coach Pilpo which was on that flight and then the rest of the staff was on three separate flights on 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 all different airlines trying to get out so um, when it worked it was great it worked just like a charter bus pulls up luggage onto the plane. It, it's super simple, but um, when it didn't, it caused some headaches. That's for sure. I'm sure a lot of uh, dobos and basketball staff. Oh yeah. That, so that's uh, definitely. <laughs> so 
uh, you make your return to George Mason University as mm-hmm. a graduate manager uh, from 17 to 2019 under Dave Paulson. Had you had a prior relationship with Coach Paulson? Um, you know what? Like, no, not really. Um, I had met him the summer before. Um, and that's kind of where our, our, our relationship started. So for me, it was in between uh, year one and year two at Air Force. Um, I had been um, visiting back home, visiting my family, and I reached out to uh, to Coach Dane Fisher um, at the time who was on staff. And I just kind of introduced myself and said, hey, I'm a former uh, – former manager, uh, I'm an alum, uh, would love to come by and, and just kind of meet, meet the staff and shake hands and introduce myself. And so that's exactly what I did. And I, I, that day ended up being much longer than I anticipated because uh, I think I showed up to the office at about 9am and, uh, ended up talking to, to, to coach fish and coach Paulson and, and and simp and AK for probably until you know noon, um, and we were just kind of on the whiteboard and and talking about the NBA stuff and and just kind of having an impromptu chalk talk session. It was great. Okay, what changes uh, from your first stint at Mason to your second stint as far as just the program? Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot. Um, a lot of changes. Um, first and foremost, just at, as a school, the campus has changed, had changed so much. Um, new buildings, um, you know, workout facilities. Um, the campus had, 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 had gone through tremendous amount of change. Um, the program had gone through just as much change, uh, if not more. Um, we had a practice facility. Um, we had, uh, a scoreboard, a video scoreboard. Um, you know, we had, uh, a project in the works to change the locker room. Um, the school had gone to an Adidas contract. So all the old Nike George Mason stuff that I had was no good anymore. Um, and it, it was, it was great because you could, you could really sense the um, the commitment uh, to the men's basketball program that that Brad Edwards and the rest of the athletic department were making. Um, it was great. Uh, everything from uh, you know team travel to team meals to gear um, to like I said, the practice facility, um, all that type of stuff had had significantly increased um and truthfully it 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 now is is kind of up to up to the standard of the rest of the league um which is really valuable um for us and and we need it especially in this area uh, you know you're, you're trying to win an a10 championship and recruit at the highest level and and uh and and those are the, the kind of selling points that that um really hit home for, for, for some kids, you know? Yeah. What's your best coach Ooh. Paulson story? Put me on the spot on this one with, I know with, that- with my current boss, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Um, that's a good one. You know, I, I, I'm struggling right now to think of one. What change from Mountain Dew to diet Mountain Dew? I, I know. Oh, that he's- well. Yeah, for, he, he thinks there's a difference between the two. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he loves his <laughs> Diet Mountain Dew. He'll, uh, he'll, uh, he'll drink that all day, uh, every day. Um, you know, he, he is also um, one of the only people that I have met in this business, um, especially as a head coach. I don't know that there's somebody who loves um, camp more than he does. Um, I mean, he is as involved in camp as I have, as I have ever seen, uh, anyone be involved, uh, with camp. I mean, he, he is there all day, 
every day yet still, you know, he's, he, he has his laptop. He's still watching film. He's still, you know, doing work. Uh, but he's over in the field house, just kind of, he, he just loves camp. Um, that, I mean, he, he's, he's phenomenal with that stuff. You know, we have a, we have a thing every day that we do with the kids where, where he'll, he'll put a uh, hundred dollars down. And, and if the kid makes a shot, they get the hundred dollars. And I, I, never seen somebody put their own money down on the line like that. Uh, you know, I've seen him lose $600 in a week, uh, just because, just because six kids made it, you know, made a layup. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's tremendous with that. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so prior to the start of last season, you were promoted to the director mm-hmm. of scouting and analytics. You were also holding down the uh, Dobo role after uh, Ted Rollins had accepted the job, mm-hmm. te- a job in Texas. How did you manage to do all those duties of both? Jobs? Well, the the only way I was able to manage uh, both of those things was because of of, of Ted Rollins. Um, he before he left, uh, he laid out a very very detailed and 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 thought out plan of what to do how to do it when to do it um and there is no way that I ever would have been able to survive last summer without that um that much I know and so um me being able to do that stuff is a complete and total credit to him um because I've never seen anybody uh be as prepared and detailed with, with, with all the little things, uh, as much as him. So, um, but it, it was, it was still very, very tough. Um, you know, and, and not only did we lose, uh, Ted Rawlings, but we also lost, um, you know, coach fish to now he's the head coach at William and Mary, um, coach Aaron Kelly, who, who's the head coach at Catholic now, um, I think yeah, Catholic <laughs> university. I think I have. Um, so, you know, we lost three staff members, um, within, I don't know, it, it couldn't have been longer than a month and a half, or at least it feels like it was a month. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden you go from having to, to take over, you know, all these responsibilities and, and divide and conquer, you know, kind of a, a lot of things, um, you know, not just myself, but, you know, everybody else on staff. Um, so it was by far the busiest summer um, that I've ever been associated with. Um, and, you know, it was, it was good, but it was, it was busy. You know, um, I think I got a chance to do some things and, and, you know, uh, enhance my relationship with coach Paulson by kind of taking on some responsibility, um, in, in some different areas. So, um, it was really, really beneficial from, from that, uh, standpoint, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know my wife at one point was like, you know, Hey, are you ever going to make it home from dinner? Like it's, it's the summertime. Like this is when you're normally home. Like like we typically get to spend some time during the summer. Like, what are you doing? What makes George Mason such a special Um, place to you? Definitely the people, Um, you know, everybody uh, from, you know, especially in the athletic department from, from Brad Edwards on down um, and, and Jay and Carolyn Marsh, um, you know, all these people um, and, and the majority of the people have, have been at George Mason um, a long time. So they've devoted, um, you know, a part of their lives to uh, the success of the school, the success of the student athletes Um and without without these people, um, there's no way George Mason would would be in the position that it is today, um, which is you know a top tier uh, mid major Atlanta ten program. 
Okay. What are your coaching aspirations? And do you aspire to a Yeah, you know, I think back? for me that that's that's a part of why I, I got into coaching. You know, I, I've always wanted to to be a head coach and, and um, you know to bring it back to, to earlier uh, in the conversation, you know, I, I, I want to be a really, really good teacher. Um, I like teaching the game. I like teaching um, different aspects of the game. I like teaching film. Um, I, I really enjoy that stuff. And so uh, for me, the head coach, being a head coach is, is the ultimate goal. Yeah, 100%. awesome what advice for uh current managers or others looking to get into coaching yeah i I mean it's i get that question um a good amount uh you know given my background and and for me i think the the best advice i can give um is just let your work uh speak for itself um be someone who other people enjoy being around, um, be someone who, who is accountable with, um, those types of little things that, that really make a program run smoothly. Um, you know, it's, it's not too little to make sure you pack the right stuff or, um, wipe up a, a, a water spill on the floor or, or, or a wet spot. Um, you know, no job is too, is too small. No job is too big. Um, and as a manager, I know how important, um, those pieces to the program are. And, and if you got, if you got some good managers, you, you, you got a good program, um, that much I know. And so, um, I, I would say just be accountable, be available. Um, and, and just, again, let your work do, um, let your work speak for itself. Cause that in the end is, is, is all that matters. Man, that's great coach. What's the best on-campus recruiting story you have or during your time at air force? Um, campus? I was trying to think of, of, of a couple, um, you know, one that comes to mind, uh, and he might not like me telling this story, but he'll get over it. Um, uh, Siobhan Thompson for, uh, when we were recruiting, when coach Hewitt and his staff were recruiting Siobhan Thompson, we, we took him to the bowling alley. Um, I think it was Friday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, whatever, or maybe the reason we went to the bowling alley was because his visit was, was during the week. But, um, Anyway, we take him to the bowling alley and uh, and we find out that he's never been bowling before. So, <laughs> you know, he's asking the guys, you know, what do I do? How do I do this? And, and I guess to understand Siobhan, you know, Siobhan is, he's, you know, he didn't spend much time in the States um, when he was growing up. So he, he's, he's from Jamaica um, and, uh, so, you know, we show him how, how to put his fingers in the bowling ball. and um, But nobody told him that he couldn't step over the line. So he gets up there and, you know, he's he's a he's a seven footer uh, legit. So he is a big, big uh, human being. And he gets he gets a head start and, and he he steps and he plants his foot right over the line and slips on the oil and, and the ball goes up in the air and, and he falls down and everybody for, for a split second, just kind of holds their breath and they're like, Oh my gosh, is he okay? <laughs> um, but he gets up and he's laughing and everybody had a, had, had a good laugh and um, he committed to us the next day. And uh, he was, he was a really, really good player for George Mason. Yeah, uh, he definitely was. I remember him. Um, who are three Ooh. guests I should have on the podcast? Um, I would go with, can't go wrong with, with, with Ted Rawlings. Um, he's phenomenal. Um, he's assistant coach at Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, we talked about him already. Um, I would, I would include Bryson Johnson. 
uh, here at George Mason, assistant coach at George Mason. And, uh, and I don't know if maybe you've had him on David, but, uh, I was Scott Lombardi. Who, who, who's at your alma mater? I haven't, but he's local. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, three uh, very smart guys. I always say uh, Teddy Ballgame is playing chess. When oh. Playing, is, or, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not only that, is he, playing he's, he's playing multiple games of chess while you're playing one game of checkers. He's, he's on a different level. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, last segment. It's a game Uh-oh. called Start Bench Cut. <laughs> George Mason University uniforms. Green, gold, white. Um well we don't have gold uniforms anymore. So I'm gonna cut. Make that easy. Okay. Good answer. And then I got a start and I got a bench. So let's go. Let's start white. And let's bench green. Good answer. Okay. Jordan, Oof. LeBron, Kobe. Yeah, nah, now nah. I mean with this with this whole documentary that's that's going on, you're you're really getting me in trouble with my answer here. Um, because I'm gonna have to cut Kobe. And I'm gonna have to start LeBron and bench Jordan. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm really? gonna have to do oh, it because uh, I'm a LeBron guy. Um, I think that he is uh, he has so much skill uh, for his size and for his athleticism, and and it's definitely partly you know because I've seen him you know up close and personal and having to you know try to prep for him when I was in Utah, you know playing them twice and trying to prep you know how do we stop this guy, and you know our coverage against him, him saying, I mean, he's out there saying, all right, I see your coverage. I see what you're trying to get me to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm still going to score. It's in, it's absolutely incredible. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can respect that. Okay. In your, uh, in your college days, old Sabine, fat Tuesdays or old Sabine, fat Tuesdays, hard times. Okay. Um, well, hard times is no longer there, so let's just go ahead and cut hard times. Oh, okay. No, but I'm okay. saying back in the day. Okay. I, I know they closed back in the day. Ooh, you know what? Then let's let's mm, let's start Fat Tuesdays. We'll bench hard times. And we'll cut Ultra Beam. That's what we'll do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Fairfax, Colorado Springs, oh, Salt Lake City. I really enjoyed all three. Um, oh, great things it's phenomenal. It is, it is a great place. Um, okay. I'm going to have to cut Colorado Springs, but I have to explain this. The only reason I'm cutting Colorado Springs is because um, I was, I think I was 24, 25 when I was living there. Um, and it is very, um, it is very quiet and low key. Um, it is very much kind of a spread out um, suburbia. Um, so, phenomenal area if if you have a family if um you know if if you're if you're a little bit older um so that's why i'm cutting Colorado Springs. but i did really really enjoy living there um so i would i mean i guess you gotta start fairfax um and 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 bench salt lake okay last one Hoop dirt, oh, verbal commits, transfer portal. Um, that's a tough one. Um, let's go. Let's go cut the portal, get that out of there, and then we'll uh, and we'll start hoop dirt and 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 bench verbal. Okay. 
<laughs> Tyler, you're the man. How can our get a hold of you? They want to um, reach out Always email me. Questions. Email me is probably the best. Uh, my email is on the George Mason website, uh, but it's it's gjorns at gmu.edu. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if anybody – has any questions feel free to feel free to reach out i'm always available coach i i uh, can't thank you enough for taking the time like i said i've always uh held you in high regard i saw your work ethic at a young age and said man that guy uh, well, is going i appreciate that you really have very much all right david you're going thanks a lot have a good Bye. night